0: Battleground Productions presents Brass, the audio serial, episode 12, The Cabinet Meeting. The year is 1885, but not one that would be familiar to you. For this is a 19th century that differs in many ways from the one in our history books. The warehouses that stand along the waterfront of the Isle of Dogs are much grander than in our own world. And this morning, one of them houses a gathering quite unlike any that we would recognize. Though each figure is one of great notoriety and infamy. The man who has just entered this large building is not accustomed to traveling without several of his bodyguards. But the summons that has brought him here specified that he was to appear alone. He stands near the door, hesitating, before a woman standing nearby speaks.
1: Why, Vincent Law, as I live and breathe.
2: Miss Trasano." It has been some time.
1: It has.
2: I have heard that you're now the cat's paw of this Kensington Gore fellow.
1: I am.
2: No doubt it suits your theatrical nature wonderfully. As I recall, you were able to cry real tears on cue. How goes the business of fleecing audience members?
1: Fair enough. How goes swindling the stupid rich?
2: Up to recently... Quite well. Oh? We've had a spot of bother with a certain revenant to our shores. Mm, A
1: family of revenants, perhaps?
2: Such is my understanding,
1: yes. I myself had an encounter with a young man with the surname Brass. And
2: I his sister.
1: Annoying, aren't they?
2: Indeed. You know, I even wondered if that might be the cause of...
1: What is the crime minister calling this? A cabinet meeting.
2: A lot of familiar faces.
1: Yes. There's Joe Rook. I haven't seen him for ages.
2: Neither have I. There's the sweeps and peck in the crown. Oh, there's Razor George. Hello, George. Is that the Graveyard King that he's talking to? It
1: is. Have you never met?
2: Oh, no. Heard of him, of course. Quite the reputation. Can't say I think much of the purple sash round his top
1: hat. We must make allowances. He is French. Good Lord. Yes, quite the gathering. There's Molly Darkin in the wetness. Hello, ladies. Hello. Do you have any idea of the agenda of this meeting? Alas,
2: no. Nor the reason for this awful location. A warehouse on the docks. The only boss I know working this part of London is the Mudlark. And if this is his headquarters, he's certainly not putting any of his profits into decoration. Oh, don't look now, but coming our
3: way is... Ah, Miss Sano how are you this fine morning
1: hello antiquarian
3: and your employer kensington gore he
1: is well too Uh
3: send him my regards i i can't remember the last time i saw him (laughs) or if i ever have for that matter and mr law Good to see you. How goes the business at the Black Fire Club?
2: Well, enough, Antiquarian. We've several new
3: attractions. Yes, I hear your mechanical rat catcher is a flawless champion. It is. A pity one cannot say the same about your mechanical bear.
1: And how goes your business, Antiquarian? Well,
3: The book trade is not what it once was. There was a day that a humble bookseller like myself could come across half a dozen marvels in the course of an afternoon. I remember one first edition of Bacon's Anatomy of Melancholy. I purchased it from a stall on the Serpentine for a shilling with pages still uncut. Ah, such relics belong to another age.
1: And how goes your other trade? Why,
3: Mr. Sano, books are my only trade. I make my profit from the acquisition and resale of manuscripts, maps, and prints. It is true that certain readers pay well to have their. Tastes catered to, and certain parties employ blueprints and similar documents to help them in their work. (laughs) They have a reputation for providing relevant information.
2: Who would have thought that there could be
3: such profits from books? Uh, Who has books has knowledge, and believe me, who has knowledge has power. Nice chatting with you, Bear. Likewise.
1: Hideous old man. That awful, knowing gleam into his eye makes me feel like he's got a thick book somewhere with my name in it.
2: I fear he's got a book with my name on it.
0: Gentlemen and ladies, your attention. It is five past eight which is five minutes past when you were all told to arrive here. You'll be glad to know that since everyone is in attendance, no demerits shall be shared among the group. I'll now be asking you to follow me to the meeting chamber. It's out here, tied up to the dock.
1: Well, there's an answer for you, Mr. Law. Shall I accompany you? You may. Please to take my right arm. I'm a much better shot with my left hand.
0: As the group of robber chieftains follows the crime minister's agent onto the dock, they find themselves facing the gangway of what appears to be a decrepit tramp steamer, a muddy and mossy near corpse of a boat, running low to the water. Just up the gangway, then.
4: You've got to be kidding, love. Three of us aboard this piece of flotsam and we'd send it to the bottom.
0: You'll find that's not the
1: case, George. Get aboard.
2: After you, Miss Tresano.
1: Oh, no, Mr. Law. I insist.
2: Very well.
0: So with reluctant tread, the proprietor of the Blackfire Club heads up the gangway, then down a dark hatch, where to his surprise is revealed not the cracked and weathered interior he had expected, but a painted metal hull. A narrow passage opens out into a large cabin made up to resemble a small theatre, with rows of seats facing a stage. On this stage is a seated figure, dressed in black
2: robes, his face unseen.
1: Who do you suppose that is?
2: Could it be our host? I confess I have only ever spoken to
5: him. In a
1: dark room, yes. The voice in the night.
5: Take your seats, please. All right, you lot. Settle down and take a seat. Now, I've met most of you in my current employee or before. If I haven't, my name's Crawford. Mate, tell the captain we're all aboard. <whistles> and so we're underway. Now, gentlemen, ladies. I'm a straightforward man, make no mistake, and I've worked in more than a dozen of the best gangs in the city, including with many of you. I've been on my share of ice and was the brains behind some pretty fine work, but as clever as I may be, I didn't know what clever was until I met the man who brings us here together today. That's the man who's sitting in the chair behind me. None of us know his name, but we all know what they call him out there their crime minister. He's turned a collection of unaccomplished bludgers and penny anti crooks into a network that gives us all more dosh at the end of the day. More dosh than we've ever seen. And now he's got some new information for all of us that you'd be well advised to listen up to, sharp-like.
4: Thank you, Crawford. What you lack in eloquence, you make up for in regional color. You will excuse my apparel Being dressed head to foot in a black robe may seem to indicate a flair for the melodramatic. However, while you are all my trusted associates, my regard for you does not extend so far as to providing you any clues to my identity. Let's all think of these as my judicial robes, for today I am in a judging mood. I
1: don't like the sound of that.
4: It is time for us to discuss our financial arrangement. As all of you know, what was at one time a criminal milieu dominated by petty gang warfare and outbursts of violence has become a peaceful and profitable society. Our shadow government works with greater efficiency and certainly greater profit than its official counterpart. Our trade missions are more successful, the wheels of commerce more liberally lubricated, and our security forces more effective and feared than those of the British Constabulary themselves. The infrastructure and systems I have built work to the benefit of all criminals in London. Never has it been of greater profit to be a member of the criminal class, and that, is why you are all expected to pay a modest 12% of each illegal transaction to our coffers to cover our considerable expenses. However, recent events have necessitated a change to this programme. From this day forward, each of you is expected to provide us with 50% of every transaction until the present situation is resolved. Might I ask... What situation you are referring to? A one-word situation. Brass. That family represents the gravest threat to our way of life that we have ever faced. They are brilliant, rich, and have the full assistance of what law enforcement I have not otherwise purchased. They have sworn to eradicate both this criminal organization and every one of us but even more galling. In the short time that they have been back in England, they have already escaped multiple attempts on their lives. These attempts, I regret to say, were our failures.
2: Temporary setbacks.
4: Failures. I'm sure it was not due to the stratagems employed, for they were of my design. Rather, they failed because of the incompetence Of those whom I entrusted to carry them out.
1: With all due respect, Crime Minister, the brasses are particularly hard to kill. I
2: am aware of that. And to punish
4: us for their persistence?
3: Are those of us who have not been entrusted by you to seek their
4: end? In this case, the failure of one must be the responsibility of all. I would like each of you to think of this increased percentage as a tithe on the continued existence of these people. A brass tax, as it were. That's not fair. You can't call raising your take just because you've got a feud with the Brass family. Of course I can. And if you had any wit, Razor George, you'd realize that your survival is dependent on us defeating the Brasses. I've got no beef with the Brasses. The high and mighty chief agents of the crown don't come down to Whitechapel. They got no care about if I'm watering the gin or running some timber riggings. Their sort is of too busy to deal with me and mine. Oh, George, you and yours. Who do you think you are? Some neighborhood boss, the criminal king of four narrow streets. You talk so big, and yet you're so small. All of you give yourselves grand titles, the lord of this, the king of that. None of you is more than the flea in the fable seated on the chariot wheel, gazing behind and saying, look at the dust that I kick up. (laughs) Ridiculous. What you are is cogs in my grand machine. And the sooner you reconcile yourselves to being useful, the better it will be for us all. That's enough, you. I've had it up to here with your high and mighty ways. He's got a gun. My George, a pistol, not exactly your modus operandi. That's enough from you.
0: (laughs) Do I blast you?
1: He's shot the crime minister.
0: But he's just sitting there.
4: (laughs) Oh George, you should have stuck with your razors.
0: They went right through him.
4: What are you? The last man you'll ever cross. Block. Tackle. Take George here for a promenade on the upper deck. That we will, Minister. Make sure to extend his journey out into the water. You're not all going to just sit there. You know he'll do the same for you. You're right, George. How kind of you to provide your example to our assembly. Those of you on the starboard side of the vessel will have a fine, if brief, view of George soon. Is there anyone who would like to join him on his perambulation? Good. No. No. Now, if I hadn't been so rudely interrupted earlier by Razor George Goodbye, ah! George. I was <clears> going to continue our little chat. <throat> I have brandished the stick. But is there perhaps a carrot that I could produce? There is. I am willing to suspend this increased percentage for any of my operatives who will volunteer their own men and resources towards the elimination of the problem.
3: Are you calling a
2: bounty down on the heads of this accursed family?
4: Bounties would encourage you to compete. What are you suggesting, then? I would think of this as a conscription drive.
1: Conscription? Are you raising an army?
4: Ah, a good question. Am I raising an army? In the newspapers, the Brass family have vowed a war on crime. How <laughs> ridiculous. One might as easily wage a war on fear, or vice, or on violence itself. Crime is a social condition, not a state with geographic borders. We are criminals, yet we do not march behind the banner of crime. And yet, perhaps they're on to something. For I say now that crime is our cause. We cannot have laws without lawbreakers. The greatest lie that the forces of law repeat is that the common man is not a criminal because of his inherent goodness. Poppycock. The common man is not a criminal because he is a coward. The common man walks past a shop window every day behind which is something he covets, a fine coat, perhaps a jewelry for his wife. Does he resist reaching out and smashing the glass because of an innate inner voice? Of course not. He resists because he fears the consequences of his actions from the law. He fears. That's right, that's right, yeah, yeah. In this, we are extraordinary. We do not fear the law, we do not fear. If we want it, get it. We take it. We smash the glass and push past the bounds of what small people call good and evil. There is a place beyond that. You ask me where it is, I say wait. It is coming. It is the future. And it belongs to us. Yes! 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 That is, if we take it. Why are you here today? For profit, of course. But why are you here at all? It is because you have been scorned by those around you, hounded by the law and damned by society. You have had to climb over hordes of the common man, the little man, to be where you are now. No more. We are greater than the common man.
5: And we are greater than the
4: uncommon ones too, like the brass family. We do not fear them. We cannot. We must not fear them or bow down to their simpering homilies. These platitudes are being sent out to infect the world. Be kind. Be merciful. Be generous. These are the strictures of a master to his slaves. Yes, but we are not slaves. We are free men and women. We are the future. And we will fight for that future because we are soldiers. We have a cause. And those small men call it criminal. We know that it is righteous because it has the right of power, a mighty power. It is the power that each of you commands. The petty criminals who make up our core, the dippers, the bladgers, the snake men and the shuffle men, lurkers and nobblers, the duffers and the bludgers, all clay who await our shaping hands, sculpted into the weapon of might that shall make right. They want a war, do they? Then we shall give the brass family their war. Now! Who of you shall be the first to offer troops for the army? Aye. Oi.
0: Unless I'm mistaken, it sounds as if the Crime Minister has just declared an all-out war on the Brass family. Can even their collective genius, their considerable allies, and their unquestionable fortitude sustain them against such an assault? And just what is this Crime Minister, a figure who not only commands nearly the entirety of London's underworld, but for whom a cylinder full of bullets is apparently a matter of no concern? Is he merely ingenious? Or is there something greater, or perhaps other, than human about him? For further developments in this increasingly harrowing saga, join us for our next episode in the story of Brass. Brass is manufactured by Battleground Productions. For credits and more information on Brass, including our films and live stage shows, go to battlegroundproductions.org and find us on Facebook.